Hello and welcome to NetCast, where we are taking an in-depth approach to sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. I am your host, Mark Hatfield, and I hope that you are encouraged by these studies in the Word of God. We invite your feedback and would love to have you as a regular part of our listening audience. Please stay with us for today's message. Hello and welcome to the NetCast podcast. You are listening to Season 5, Episode 7 of our study in James titled, Dispersed and Dedicated. Today we are going to study from James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, in a message that I have titled, The Uselessness of Dead Faith. There is much confusion on the subject of faith and works, and I hope you will stay right here with me for this important message from the Word of God. It has been a very busy summer so far, and I appreciate your patience with me as I produce these podcast episodes. In addition to this work with NetCast, I also hold a full-time job, but I have been serving in addition as an evangelist doing some online media ministry work for the Cedar Avenue Church of Christ in Moundsville, West Virginia. We meet at 210 Cedar Avenue in Moundsville. If you would happen to be in the area during one of our scheduled services, please come and be our honored guest. For more information, please visit cedarsower.com. For now, let's open our Bibles to James chapter 2 as we begin our study. Now to refresh our memories, in the last lesson we discussed the importance of not being partial to those who might assemble with us as guests, or to show favoritism to those who are members of the Lord's Church based merely on external appearances and socioeconomic status. And we concluded that James was providing further instruction for how to have pure and undefiled religion as he covered three main points, care for the orphans, visit the widows in their distress, and to show love to the poor. And all of these works that he mentions are near and dear to the heart of God in both the Old and the New Testament. Without these acts of love, our religion, he says, is worthless. Today we're going to see how James ties in our faith with our actions. And as we start this message, James is going to give us some practical example for how to look at our lives and live out our faith. He will make three very strong points about how you cannot claim faith, unless it is demonstrated by your actions or your works. This is another way for James to emphasize if we do not practice what we believe, our religion and our faith have no purpose and they are ineffective. He has already established that we cannot be a hearer of the Word of God and not a doer of the Word of God. So let's get our Bibles now and read James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works, Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. 
You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now, the points that we're going to share together this morning in the sermon are, number one, dead faith is desolate faith. Number two, dead faith is demonic faith. And number three, dead faith is dead faith. Now, if you consider what the Bible teaches from the Old to the New Testament, this is going to help us to put into perspective what is being taught here. The law of Moses, the Old Covenant, was a works-based law. You had to perform all the rituals and duties that were required by the Lord in order for you to be in good standing with the Lord. And if you go back and read Leviticus, it is exhaustive to figure out how to keep, and Deuteronomy, and to figure out how to keep all those laws and that's why the Bible reveals that no one could keep it perfectly, and there was, this was just a shadow of something better to come. The Bible says the law of Moses was a tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. So when Christ actually comes on the scene and lives his life, ministers to people, leaves us his words, and then dies on the cross, he's buried. Three days later, he rises from the dead. He is exalted to the right hand of God. The Bible tells us that before he left, he told us that the blood that he shed was the blood of the new covenant. And the law of Christ then sets us free from the law of sin and death, since the law is fulfilled in Christ being nailed to his cross. Therefore, when Jesus left, he commanded his disciples, or his apostles particularly, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will, re he will reveal all truth to you. There were things that Jesus wanted to reveal that he couldn't reveal yet, but the Holy Spirit would do it to the apostles. Therefore, what we read in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit was sent to reveal that truth to the apostles to show us how to be set free from sin. We refer to this as the apostles' doctrine. The 27 books of the New Testament consist of the words both of Christ, as he was led by the Spirit on the earth, but also by his apostles who were led by the Spirit on the earth, to teach and preach those things that were commanded from the Lord. And so when we look at the New Testament, these 27 books, our aim is to live each day according to the commands of the Lord revealed in those books. That is our responsibility. Now, if you keep that in mind, you'll have no, no trouble at all understanding what James is teaching here in this message. Let's begin with point number one. Dead faith is useless because it is desolate. It is empty. It's all by itself. Verses 14 to 17 capture this point. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? In other words, it's all talk right now. It's all just something that's head thoughts, head belief. Can that faith save him, James asks? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, well, just, just go in peace and be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? You see how he's saying it's useless because it's merely all talk. The Bible says we are to love in truth, but we are also to love in deed. And deeds are what James is talking about here. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. So you cannot say that you have faith if you don't have works to back it up. Because faith is no faith at all unless it is put into action. Titus 1.16 confirms this. While I believe we are saved by faith, it must be the kind of faith that is described here in the Bible. And the real difference between a dead faith and a faith that is living is the type of faith we practice in our life. 
Now, we're not earning our salvation, for that is a gift from God through Jesus Christ. He died and gave his life as a gift well before I ever gave my life to him. There is nothing that I can do that deems me somehow worthy of the saving of my soul. Paul said we are saved by grace through faith. It is not your doing. It is a gift from God. It is not based on works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And we believe that. Does this, though, contradict what James is saying here? The answer is absolutely not. They complement each other like a good dovetail comes together. The salvation of our souls is extended to us by grace. But it is through a biblical faith that we demonstrate our belief through service to the Lord and others. And if we simply say we have faith, but we do nothing to serve the Lord and others as commanded by Christ, we have a dead faith. And God's grace is not extended to those that will not let, let their faith work through love. That's how Paul described what we're talking about today in Galatians 5 and verse 6. Faith works and is motivated by love. Paul will continue in Ephesians 2.10 to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Jesus also added to this in Luke 6.46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? How can you claim Jesus is your Lord if you're not actively doing the things that he taught? Herein is the key to knowing whether we have a dead faith or a faith that is very much alive. Do you obey the Lord? Do you love and serve others? 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 tells us very plainly that on the last great day when we face the judgment bar, we will be judged based on the deeds that we've done in the body, whether good or bad. So if your deeds don't have anything to do with it, then why would there be a passage like that from the Apostle Paul? You see, Paul is complimenting James. He is not contradicting James. His other teachings fall in line with this. Some have simply jerked a few of his verses out of context, and they're using them to teach false doctrine. James offers a simple example of to test our faith. He says, put yourselves in the shoes of the individual mentioned here. You're standing in the back of the auditorium after a church service, and a faithful brother or sister in Christ comes to you and says, Brother, I'm hungry. Sister, I'm, I'm thirsty. And with this weather changing, I, I'm going to be cold because I don't have a coat to wear this winter. What do you do? Do you say the same thing that was mentioned in the text? Oh, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. And then you do not give them any help. James says your faith is dead because while you believed that your brother or sister was in need, your faith was standing alone. It was desolate by itself. And it was not motivated by love to take action. You did nothing to meet the pressing needs before you. Now let me ask you, what kind of peace can someone have when they are destitute? Are your words going to fill their need for nutrition or warm them up physically? No, not at all. And that's why the Bible tells us in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, that we need to be active in what we believe. We need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say believe it out. It says, work it out. And Jesus said to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. What kinds of things? Well, you gave me a drink. You gave me food. You gave, you visited me. When I was sick, you came to me. All those things that we do are done to the Lord when we do it to the least of these, his brethren. Matthew 25, verse 40. And so James wants to know if somebody says they have faith, but they don't have any works, can that type of faith save a man? I'm going to tell you this is a rhetorical question, and the answer is a resounding no. Not only will these types of faith not save you because they are dead or empty before God, 
it also fails to help others that you encounter in your daily life. And your faith is dead by itself, according to James, if you are not living out that faith. And unless we put to practice what we say we believe in our hearts, we have a useless faith. It is dead, empty, alone, isolated, or have we, as we have called it today, a desolate faith. Truthfully, since faith requires works in order for it to be true Bible faith, we could say that someone who claims faith and does not act upon it has no faith at all. If you are faithless and you are not actively serving the Lord and others based on what you know to be true, consider, for example, what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. If a man does not provide for the needs of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Another word for infidel is unbeliever. Now, why is this true? Because God commands us to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to care for our families, to love the members of our household. And God, if God commands it and we're not doing what we're commanded by the Lord, we have a useless faith. It's that simple. Point number two, dead faith is useless because it is demonic. Now, this is probably one of the strongest points he's going to make here in this context. This comes from verses 18 to 20. We're going to read those again. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? So James continues, show me your faith without the works. If someone says in response to this teaching, I have faith and you have works, James asks the one who claims faith to prove it. How would you prove that you have faith with anything other than actions that were in line with what you claim to believe? Now, there are many that say there is no work that I have to do. All that I have to do is have faith in Christ and put my trust in his work on the cross. Did you know that believing in the Lord Jesus is also a work? In John 6, 28, we find this question asked of Jesus, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Now, while some interpret this to mean that there is no work to do but believe, that is to have a mental intellectual assent or a confession of faith with the mouth, this is absolutely false. Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered and became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him, Hebrews 5, 8, and 9. And while the Bible teaches that we have to believe in Jesus to be saved, the type of faith that is required is a trusting faith that obeys his teachings. A lot of people like to quote verse John chapter 3, verse 16. Beautiful passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But they forget that 20 verses later, the Bible says, he that believes on the Son shall have everlasting life, but he that obeys not the Son, the wrath of God abides upon him. Do you see that? Yes, Jesus was given a work to do, in John chapter 4, 34, he wasn't earning his way back to his glorified state with God. He was simply doing what his father commanded him to do. And this included going to the cross to die for the sins of the world. And he finished the work according to John 17 and verse 4. And he was ready to be glorified again. And when he left this earth and he was glorified and seated at the right hand of his father in heaven, the Bible says that right before he left, he gave us a great commission and his own commands that we need to follow as disciples of Jesus. If you don't believe it's true, look at Matthew 28. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth, Jesus said in verse 18. And then he continued, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. 
Now, if we fail to put full trusting faith in Jesus, we will be lost and we will have dead faith. So the point is very simple now. The example that James uses here is for someone who says, well, I believe in God, or, or I believe in Jesus as the Son of God. It is a good thing to believe in God, as James confirms. You do well. You believe God is one? Great. It is also good to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. But what he adds to this argument is that the demons of hell also believe the same thing. One of the greatest examples of this is found in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 29. Jesus was about to heal two demon-possessed men, and the demons spoke to Jesus and said, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? And this is referring to the time of their eternal damnation to hell. They want to know. In this one phrase spoken by these evil demons, they acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God and thereby also acknowledge God as the one true God. Did this acknowledgement save them? Certainly not. Did they confess Jesus as the Son of God? Yes. Did they thereby claim to believe in God? Yes. You can now see why merely confessing Jesus as the Son of God and believing in God as one in thought or in word is not enough to demonstrate true Bible faith. It is foolish to believe in God and His Son and not prove it by obedient faith. The point that James is trying to get through to us is that believers, that is, demons, are in hell. And if they had faith, the issue must be with the way that they acted upon that belief. Well, how do demons respond to what they know to be true about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Well, they obviously believe that God is real, and yet they choose to serve Satan and do all kinds of wickedness. They clearly believed in Jesus based on what we read in the Gospels, but they always acted contrary to his ministry. Throwing people into convulsions, causing them to do all kinds of things, throwing themselves into fire, just always trying to contradict the work of Jesus. The demons certainly attempted to work in opposition to the Holy Spirit because they filled every heart of man where the Holy Spirit did not live. And the demons do not repent of their evil ways. They do not abandon their thoughts and their actions. What if someone claimed to have faith in the Lord and you watch them continue to lie and cheat and steal and murder and blaspheme the name of God? Well, you would conclude right away that they have a dead faith or rather no faith at all. And that is the conclusion that James reaches as well. It is also the position that we must stand firm on in our teaching of truth, opposing the many false doctrines in the world that teach otherwise. James wrote, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Do you recognize this today? James says that the demons even shudder, that is, they fear and tremble at the thought of what God's going to do to them, but they continue to rebel against the ways of righteousness. That is a dead faith. Now, the demons, it says, have faith without works, and they are not saved. Just as the demons are bound in a devil's hell and they are lost, those that claim to have faith but are not living in obedience to the Lord's will will join Satan and his evil forces in eternal hellfire. And the saddest part about this study today, there are countless denominations in the world today that falsely proclaim that not only are we saved by faith alone, but once we are saved, we are always saved. It's other names for this doctrine of error is called perseverance of the saints or eternal security. And neither of these doctrines have any biblical foundation whatsoever. We must come in obedience to the gospel of Christ and then do the works assigned to us by God in order to be found faithful before him when this life is over. And those that choose to live an unfaithful life before God are in jeopardy of losing their soul. 
We also must be careful that we don't seek justification through the law of Moses or man-made laws for that matter. And these people who try to do that have fallen away. They've fallen from grace. They've been cut off and thrown away. They're severed from Christ. John 15, verse 6, Romans 11, 20 to 23, Hebrews 6, 6, Galatians 5, 4, 1 Timothy 4, 1. Oh yes, it's all over the Bible, brothers and sisters. Don't miss this truth. The best verse to illustrate what we are saying is this, Colossians 2, 6. And keep in mind, this is the Apostle Paul that wrote this, so it doesn't contradict what James says. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That's really what we're saying. A lot of people claim to have received Christ, but they don't walk in him. And Paul described his own life as being conducted by faith in the Son of God, who loved him and gave himself up for him. Galatians 2 and verse 20. Now, as we continue, let's look at point number three, and we'll spend most of our time right here. Point number three is this. Dead faith is useless because it is dead. And it comes from verse 21 through verse 26. It says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So consider, faith works with our works. I'm going to say that one more time. Faith works with our works. James shows us the work of Abraham in obedience to the commands of God to take his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. Abraham obeyed God and by faith was going to do exactly as the Lord commanded. And the Bible says here in James that this perfected his faith before God. At the moment that Abraham raised his hand to kill Isaac, an angel was sent to stop the hand of Abraham, and God provided a ram caught in a thicket or a bush to sacrifice instead. Now, God knew the faith of Abraham, not by an intellectual mental assent or even something Abraham would say or confess, but only when his faith was put to practice in obedience to the voice of the Lord. In Hebrews 11, we read about the faith of Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. So Abraham believed that God could even raise Isaac, so he proceeded to do what God commanded him. The symbol here, of course, is that when God provided a ram to die in place of Isaac, it was a shadow of Christ dying in our place, allowing us to go on living, not only in this life because of our sin, but also in a life to come. And God provided the sacrifice, and in the same way, by sparing Isaac, the promise made to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through this promised son could be fulfilled. Jesus was even born through that lineage and ultimately became the Savior of the world to those who come to him in obedience and trusting faith. The faith of Abraham being demonstrated by his obedience to the commands of God allowed for these events to unfold. And the other shadow or type was just as Jesus was resurrected from the dead after three days, we now have the hope of the resurrection unto eternal life after our earthly life is over. And James argues as a result of the works, rather, faith was perfected. 
But notice that even after obedience to the voice of God, Abraham did not merit anything, nor did he have a reason to boast as if he had earned a righteous stance before God. What does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God. That's all it says. It doesn't say he believed and worked his way to heaven. It doesn't say he believed and did all these other things. It just simply says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Wow, what an honor to be called a friend of God, amen? He was simply called a believer, and his faith included all the things that he did, putting belief into action and doing what God commanded. And Jesus said similar, similarly, you are my friend if you do what I command you, John 15, verse 14. Now, we don't earn his friendship, but when we love him in obedience, he befriends us. We are justified by works and not by faith alone. Here's the easiest way to understand this from a biblical perspective. The only time faith alone appears in the Bible is in this passage, and it says we are not saved by faith alone. And this is where many denominations will argue that God clearly credited Abraham with righteousness before Abraham ever attempted to make the sacrifice of Isaac on the altar. And they do this by pointing to the fact that James quoted Genesis 15 and verse 6, where the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, there are two ways to view this verse. First, consider that the events of God promised to Abraham that he would have a son through whom all the nations would be blessed took place decades before Genesis 22, where Abraham offered Isaac on the altar at Mount Moriah. Now, if we conclude that Abraham simply saying to God that he believed constituted faith that saves, then Abraham didn't need to do anything to demonstrate his faith. By James quoting Genesis 15 and saying that it is fulfilled in the obedience of Abraham in Genesis 22, he is proving his point that true faith includes works of obedience to God. Now, does God consider us right with him if we are still walking in disobedience? No, absolutely not. Now, there are some that not only preach the wrong way to come to Jesus, but they also teach that once you're saved, you're always saved, and they are convinced that no matter what someone does, that grace will override it. But does God know... Let me ask you this. Does God know what is in our hearts before we ever act on his will or against his will? Well, yes, he does. Is God able to give us credit in advance of our obedience to him because he knows that we will eventually obey him? Well, to be fair, he can do anything. But what does the word of God teach us here? We have to base our faith in the Bible, and the Bible calls for a faith that works in accordance with the will of God. Now, many in the denominational world will try to piggyback on Paul and say that God considered Abraham righteous before he ever received the mark of circumcision or offered Isaac or any other command of God. This was commanded in Genesis 17 that all the sons of Israel be, be circumcised. And God made a covenant with Abraham and told him that the male children of Israel had to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant. And anyone among Israel that did not get circumcised of the males in their community, they would be cut off from his people because they had broken the commandment or covenant of God. And so God made the covenant, and he issued its decree, and in order to keep the covenant, all the male children had to have their foreskin removed, or they were in violation of the agreement and outside of the blessings of God. Now, have you ever wondered what would have happened if the Israelites were never circumcised? If Abraham said, just don't even worry about it, would they still be considered men of faith in God? The answer is obvious. If you break a covenant with God, you are not in righteous standing with him. This would be evident by obedience or disobedience. And on the day God commanded circumcision, they were all obedient. Genesis 17, 23 to 27. Faith without believing and diligently seeking God 
will not please him. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Now, many people see a contradiction in how Paul argues in Romans 4 that Abraham was not justified by his works. Otherwise, he could take glory in and boast in his own righteousness, verses 1 and 2, in comparison to James and what he says. But instead of the word contradiction, I would offer the word compliment. Paul and James are writing to two different audiences. In Romans, Paul is dealing with the battle between those who want to be justified by the law of Moses as opposed to being saved by the blood of Christ alone and living in the freedom of the gospel. James is writing to those that struggle with saying that they trust Jesus, but the concern is that they wouldn't live as faithful followers of his commands to love and serve both God and their fellow man. So right after stating that Abraham was not justified by works, Paul quotes the same text as James and says, For what does the scriptures say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, found in verse 3 there in Romans 4. Now let me, let me remind you that this was stated before Abraham was obedient by faith. Now while some see this as a proof text that we are righteous regardless of works, James compliments Paul's teaching by bringing the two together. Faith is not faith if it lacks the works of faith, not works of the law to merit salvation, but to humbly obey the Lord out of love. The most important questions before us are when did God know that Abraham feared him and how did God know he had faith? Well, if you go back to Genesis 22 where this historic record is found, it wasn't until after Abraham saddled a donkey, put together supplies for a sacrifice, took his son on the journey to Mount Moriah, and then prepared to kill his son, that it was said as his hand was being stopped, for now I know that you fear God. This is another way of saying, now I know that you believe and have faith. When Abraham did all these things, he was not attempting to earn a single thing. He merely trusted in God's command and had true Bible faith that works the works or commands of God. Now, back in Romans, Paul points out that if we work to earn our salvation and righteousness before God, we could consider it a wage. That is something that's owed to us by God for our labor instead of a favor or a gift, something freely given by God. And the one who does not work but believed in God as the justifier of the ungodly, it says his faith is credited as righteousness. Now, his focus, if you look at the immediate context, is that we are not to work the works of the old law with the intent to claim that God owes us something. And Paul adds a quote from David as well in this context, expressing how blessed we are indeed to have the gift of the forgiveness of God apart from works that we could do to earn righteousness. This is all found in Romans 4, verses 4 to 8. Now, Paul will spend the entirety of Romans explaining how we have to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. But this obedience doesn't nullify the fact that it is a gift. I mean, one simple example, go read Romans 6. Romans 6, 3, and 4, we have to be baptized into the likeness of Christ's death through baptism, and we're raised to walk in the newness of life. And the Bible says we no longer continue to subject ourselves to our members to uh, works of disobedience and unrighteousness, but rather we become slaves of righteousness. Paul said, I thank God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart. That's faith right there. That's the definition of faith. Obedient from the heart to that form of doctrine to which had been, had been delivered to you. And then he ends the entire conversation in verse 23 and says, after telling them they have to be baptized and continue to live faithfully, that is still a gift from God. It's still a gift from God. And Paul speaks directly about the obedience of faith in the close of his letter to the Romans in Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27. 
He is not opposed to obedient faith, but he's opposed to someone boasting that their work would save them, especially if they were trying to keep the law of Moses when Christ fulfilled that law and establishes the new covenant in his blood. And that's why we started with that illustration, that little timeline that I did at the beginning. Now, the point that many miss here is that Paul is contrasting works of the law with having faith in God and his son, Jesus. No one will be justified by the works of the law. We know this because the law could never be kept perfectly. And if we stumble in one point, what does the Bible say? We're guilty of all of it. Paul is comparing what it is like to live under the law of Moses with being under the law of liberty, which is also known as the law of Christ. We've already studied in James in former lessons this law of liberty. And Paul would argue that just because we're under the grace of Jesus and not under the law of Moses, that we can never use this as a license to live in sin or with a dead faith. James points out that we are to look intently at ourselves in the law of Christ to make necessary changes to our lives spiritually while learning to serve the Lord and to serve others. But by no means are we wearing a badge that says, I earned or merited salvation. But we're simply loving God in obedience to his word for the grace that he has extended to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we're saying is this. God made a plan which included sending his son Jesus to die on the cross and by his death he would fulfill the law of Moses. He came to be the promised Messiah of the prophets, the hope of the psalmist that wrote of his suffering for our sins and the redeeming of our souls. And since God knew in advance of this plan that was made before the foundation of the world, we could argue technically that God also called us all righteous even before we come in trusting faith to him. But this is part of a Calvinistic doctrine of imputed righteousness, and it is error. The argument goes that if Adam committed sin and the curses of that sin fell to all of us, that because Christ died for sin, that his righteousness is provided to all of us. And along with that error is the doctrine of total hereditary depravity that carries the idea that we are born into sin and it is complete falsehood. The person who sins will die, the Bible says, and all have sinned, but we are not born that way. We come under the curse when we choose to sin. We are not born into sin, nor are we credited with Adam's sin and death. Yes, death passed unto all men, but why? Because all have sinned. Likewise, when Jesus went to the cross to die, his righteousness and the ending of the curse does not automatically get passed out to all men everywhere. Yes, it is true that as in Adam all die and in Christ we're all made alive. Yes, it is true that Jesus became sin so that we could become righteousness. But we have to ask, what does it take for us to be in Christ so that we can be blessed with his righteousness? And Paul dealt with that, as we mentioned earlier in Romans 6. We have to be buried with Christ in baptism and be raised up to walk in a new life. We're baptized into Christ by faith, the Bible says. In Colossians 2 and verse 12, interestingly, it's called the Christian circumcision. It's the, the circumcision of Christ, the cutting away of that former life of sin so that we can be free and live for the Lord. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that does not believe shall be condemned. We will look at this later in the lesson as a part of our invitation, but we have to get our minds wrapped around this teaching first. Technically, everything was in the mind and foreknowledge of God, and therefore, if God knew that I would be, have a good heart and would eventually become this devout servant of his, he could have declared me righteous in advance of my life of faithfulness to him. Now, God does not choose to extend righteousness in this way. This means that we are not excused from responding to the Lord 
in humble obedience by faith to the Word of God. The point is that since we're under the law of Christ today, there are still directives that we must follow, and there is work that we must accomplish in order to demonstrate our faith. And the fact remains, too, that salvation and righteousness are still a gift, and we would never boast in anything other than the cross of Christ and the grace extended to us by God as a gift of His love. We don't attempt to earn or merit anything by our obedience to the Lord. We understand that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all of our being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is just like it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we show this love by how we conduct ourselves by faith each and every day. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He doesn't say, if you want to earn your way to heaven, you have to keep my commandments. I would be a fool to stand up on the judgment day and tell God that I deserve a place in his eternal presence because of all that I did for him as a part of his kingdom or his church. It would be ludicrous to think that I would even mention a single act of love shown or to even hint at the idea that I served him in some way that would give me the right to demand eternal life as my prize or my reward. Even after all my works are done in the kingdom, they are but filthy rags and I rely fully upon the work of Jesus on the cross. His blood was shed in love for our salvation. We simply reply in love through Bible faith. And the beauty of all of this is that the Lord will remember every time that I've shown how much I love him by living in accordance with his divine will for my life. He doesn't forget our labor of love because he's not unjust, the Bible says in Hebrews 6 verse 10. And the Bible mentions that when this life is over and those in Christ are called to our eternal rest, that our works do follow us. Revelation 14 and verse 13. This doesn't mean that we earned anything, but that God will be able to recall all that we've done and allow us to rest from these labors in his presence. In addition, we are told that the righteous acts of the saints will be represented by the white garments that we wear in the presence of God. Those that are washed in the blood of Jesus and have lived for him, according to Revelation 7, 13 to 15, will dwell in his presence forever. And our service by faith on earth will one day come to a close, and we will find rest for our souls in the shelter of the presence of God and his son, Jesus Christ. What a day that will be. Jesus said at the last book of the Bible, last chapter, Revelation 22, he said, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me for those who have worked and served me. James offers one final example in the story of Rahab when two messengers were sent on a mission from God and they were about to be apprehended by the authorities. Rahab hid them on her rooftop and allowed them to continue in the work that God had assigned to them by sending them out of her house another way. And for this work, she is called a woman of faith. She didn't earn anything. She simply acted out of love and God honors those that love him and want to serve his holy purposes. It would be crazy for anyone to suggest that Rahab earned God's favor, for she was merely doing what any person who claims faith would do. She was a harlot among a people that were Gentiles and enemies of God. She's on the other end of the spectrum from Abraham, who was a Jew and a leader of the people of God. And this gives us all hope that whether Jew or Greek, bond or free, male or female, there is salvation available to us by faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise be to God. If you want to see more about Rahab, read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. The real difference, brothers and sisters, is the motivation behind your actions. If you want to be like those who stand in the presence of God and proclaim all the good things that you do as opposed to one who hangs his head beating his chest and saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner, the motives are clear. 
no one will be able to stand before God and say like those in Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name work many miracles? And they go on listing all these deeds that they've done to gain an advantage somehow. Those who come to boast will be told, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. Yet it was in that very same text that Jesus did emphasize the importance of obedience to his word in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. We are all sinners and we cannot earn salvation, but if we could have done it on our own without Jesus, he would never have had to die on the cross. So we say with Paul, by the grace of God, I am who I am. I am saved and I cannot boast in anything but the cross of Christ, my Savior. And because he is my Savior, I will serve him faithfully. I will live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Any effort made to serve the Lord is motivated by love for him and out of appreciation for all that he has done to redeem us at the cost of the precious blood shed on the cross. While we have concluded that works do not earn anything, James makes it clear that your faith is dead unless it is active in faithful service to the Lord. And the way he describes it last is like a body, like a corpse without the animation of the spirit. So is faith without works. Faith that saves is faith that obeys. Let's conclude our message today and offer the gospel invitation. Today we have learned that faith is useless and dead without works because number one, it is desolate. It is alone and empty. Number two, it is demonic. Demons believe, but they're lost in hell. And number three, faith requires obedience or it is not alive. It's dead. Now you might be asking, well, what must I do to be saved? Now some in the religious world will say there's nothing you can do because Christ did it all. Others might say all you have to do is believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And they'll quote scripture, Acts 16 and verse 30. But they never read the rest of the context where the jailer and his whole household were baptized into Christ. Some will try to lead you to say a sinner's prayer, which by the way is not found anywhere in the Bible. The correct answer to the question, what must I do to be saved, is found in the Bible. Listen carefully. After you hear the good news about Jesus and how he died for your sins, you believe he is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. You repent of your sins. You express a desire to change your life. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you're baptized by immersion in water for the forgiveness of your sins, after which you are raised up to walk in the newness of life. You are then given the gift of the Holy Spirit and you will devote the remainder of your life on earth in service to the Lord and his church from a heart full of gratitude for the grace that has been shown to you. Brothers and sisters, that is the Bible answer. I want to invite you to take advantage of the new special offer that is connected with the Dispersed and Dedicated series in the book of James. If you partner with Netcast Podcast during our fifth season, I want to send you the complete outline on the book of James, but I will also be including the supplemental PowerPoint slideshows to guide you in your study. If you want to become a partner or make a donation, you can send PayPal donations using netcasthost at gmail.com or visit patreon.com forward slash netcast to learn more about how you can get on board with this podcast. I have also added the podcast to buymeacoffee.com forward slash netcasthost where you can send a small gift of any amount to help support the show. Thank you in advance. If you are not able to support this ministry effort financially at this time, would you please consider doing one of the following? First, please subscribe and continue to be a dedicated listener. Next, please share Netcast with your friends and family and encourage them to subscribe. Finally, consider leaving a review for the podcast so that your positive feedback could encourage others to listen. 
Take a few moments after we sign off to visit our website at netcasthost.com. Here you will find transcripts of the podcast on the blog. You can sign up for the free newsletter, become a member, and join Netcast absolutely free. This will give you access to hidden portions of the podcast host site, like our members forum, and so much more. Don't forget to check out our social media sites on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to like and follow the podcast as we use these sites to keep you current on what is happening at Netcast. All new episodes are announced on these media outlets. God bless you richly in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you.